Welcome to Ballistic Radio. Join us as we discuss hard-won self-defense lessons, as well as the information you need to survive a violent encounter. Listen as armed professionals, industry experts, national champions, and gunfight survivors answer all your firearms and self-defense questions while exploring your rights and responsibilities as an armed citizen. Ballistic Radio, brought to you by Surefire, the professional's choice for suppressors and illumination tools. Surefire, America's beacon of freedom. And now, here's your host, John Johnston. Welcome to Ballistic Radio, brought to you by Surefire, the professional's choice for suppressors and illumination tools. Surefire, America's beacon of freedom. I'm your host, John Johnston. Remember, you can always listen to past shows at BallisticRadio.com. Get the latest behind-the-scenes info, arguments, photos, videos, other stuff at Facebook.com slash BallisticRadio. Coasting with me, the danger pixie, Melody Lauer. Ohio. Ohio gozaimasu. Yes. Nihongo Anyway. Uh, hey, guess what? What's that? This segment brought to you by Lucky Gunner and Federal Premium Ammunition. Whether there was a firefight or you do, in fact, want to worry about that little guy, you need more ammo, and when it's time to restock, you can't beat Federal Premium Ammunition and LuckyGunner.com. With a shipping department that is always moving at 88 miles per hour, if I order a case of American Eagle from Lucky Gunner on a Thursday, tap my doorstep ready to shoot before the weekend starts. Head to LuckyGunner.com today to check out their in-stock lineup of federal premium ammunition. And remember, unless you're on fire or drowning, you can never really have too much ammo. So, I am super excited to welcome to the show for the very first time, which I don't know how we've gone this long and not had him on, uh, Wayne Dobbs. Wayne, how's it going? It's going great. How are you doing this morning? Oh, you know, living the dream. Living the dream. (laughs) So, as, as my my friend and mentor Pat Rogers would have said, uh, life is good. Well, Claude says that a lot too. A lot of people say that. That's, uh, that's but are because, you living the dream? Uh, yeah. Anyway, so <laughs> row, row, row your boat. Um, for those that don't know, Wayne, who are you? What do you do? Um, and we'll hop right in. Well, uh, first of all, I am. I, I have to. I have to be properly respectful of my origins. I'm a fifth generation native Texan, so I always I always give props to my to the republic before I start anywhere because that defines me in a great many ways. At least according to my wife it does. <laughs> uh, I'm a retired police officer from the Richardson, Texas police. That's a good size uh inner ring suburb on the northeast side of Dallas. I spent twenty five years there and retired in two thousand and three. Uh, I have been a firearms trainer for thirty eight years now and have uh, run the firearms training program for the department. Also uh, did a lot of uh, academy-level firearms training, both basic and in-service over the years. After I retired, I went to uh, Iraq on a two-year State Department police training contract where I ran a uh, an AK-47 and Glock 19 training program for the Iraqi police service. I also developed firearms trainers out of the Iraqi police service, about 35 of them. And uh, subsequent to that, spent two years working on a State Department WIPS contract, which is the Worldwide Protective Services contract. And we trained and deployed uh, uh, diplomatic protection details to Iraq and and, uh, a couple of other countries. Um, I uh, am co-owner of a a group called HITS, which is Hardwired Integrated Tactical Services, 
and that's Daryl Bolke and I basically. And we do uh, firearms training uh, mainly for private citizens, but some law enforcement agencies. Um, I have shot since I can remember anything and uh, still stay busy today uh, teaching and being taught. And I've gone back in the full-time working world recently, the first of the year, in that I am the Western United States sales manager uh, for government and law enforcement sales for Aimpoint Incorporated. That's uh, that's that's a pretty hefty introduction there, Wayne. So, I I think my first question, my very first question, is someone that is co-owner of a uh, firearms training company with someone, uh, aka Melody Lauer, and also as someone that knows uh, who your co-owner is. How do you keep from killing each other? That's my first my first question. Well, it's it's like a a somewhat uh long living yet dysfunctional marriage. Yes uh, it is. <laughs> Daryl and I, you know, we are alike in a lot of ways, but we're we're radically different in others. And I, I jokingly say that uh Daryl d- does the talking and I do the teaching. Oh, uh, no, he I think it's the opposite over here. <sighs> but I, uh, I love to dig in uh, on teaching really uh, in-depth fundamentals to people. I, I think that knowing fundamentals at a uh, at a subconscious level is the secret to success in any physical skills format. Mm-hmm. And and so that's what I do. Daryl has uh, some interesting operational experiences. Uh, he's the only person I know of that has shot someone at 47 yards with a load of buckshot. Uh, and, and so, you know, he's, he's quite a, he's very focused on shotguns. Uh, I, I'm not so much focused on shotguns. I can run a shotgun very, very well. Uh, but I am, my big thing I do is teach people how to shoot pistols well. And the second thing I do is I am, a, I jokingly say it, but I am an evangelist for the patrol carbine uh, with the police. I believe that, that that's the move we need to make uh, in American policing towards firearms use because it works so well and it's so easy to teach and it's so easy to use uh, with just a, a modest amount of training. Well, and that's... Uh... That's an interesting thing to talk about. We'll probably get into that a little bit more in depth because I'd like to, um, I'd like to see what you think about that. But I guess my first question, and this is sort of uh, my first actual question, though I like okay. your answer to the uh, the co-owner thing, uh, especially when I realize that in this uh, in Melody and I's relationship, that Melody is apparently you, and I'm <laughs> apparently Daryl. So. <laughs> You look like him. Yeah, a little. You know, as far as the beard. People know. have actually confused us when we're at the same event, and I'm just like, huh. Um, but that's 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 neither here nor there. Uh, so <laughs> I guess my first question, there seems to be a lot of emphasis on um, speed in, in shooting. And, and when I say speed, uh, I'm not saying that it's not important to access a gun quickly, but as far as like, shooting a lot of rounds quickly his what do you think about that do you think we overemphasize that i have no doubt that we overemphasize it at least generally and i'm sure there's 
we could find little outlier data points that don't. Uh, but I believe that uh, we certainly emphasize shooting a fast and shooting fast a lot of rounds. Uh, and I think I think we do it to our detriment, both from the standpoint of the uh, of our exposure uh, legally and also from the standpoint of uh, the tactical realities of doing it. I, I think that generally speaking, we, uh, I, I, and I call it going bananas. Um, I, I think that that's, that is a focus and it's, it's something that's fun to do and something that uh, a lot of people like. But when we take that, uh, that high volume, high speed shooting, uh, practice and then put it into play, in, in actual shooting environments, uh, actual operational shooting environments. I don't think it brings us what we're looking for. Um, we got about two, two and a half minutes left in this segment, but, um, and, and so everybody knows, uh, you're, you're not saying that because you can't shoot quickly. You're one of the best pistol shooters that I know. So I don't, I don't want anybody who's listening to go, Oh yeah. Okay. This guy says, that we're shooting too fast because really he can't he can't shoot fast and blah 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 blah. That's that's not where you're coming from here, right? In about a minute that's and a correct. half or so. No, that's not where I'm coming from at all. Uh, I can shoot fast. I I will go and shoot fast. I will go and shoot volumes fast. But I do it from the standpoint not to shoot fast, but it's it's something to uh, gain a confirmation of technique. And I have no illusions that doing that uh, in an operational shooting is, is what I need to be doing. And the, the bottom line, the reason that I'm against it, John, is because when I watch the tep, as to use a Pat Rogers term, and I love that man to death and I miss him all, all the time. Yeah, me too. But to use uh, a Pat Rogers term, uh, the average earth people that are out there carrying guns, uh, what I notice is once they go past about three shots fired at, at a high speed and with intent of firing a volume of shots, at about shot three to five, they start missing. And I don't mean them in a little bit. I mean they drive off the tracks. Right. So, Well, and that's actually an interesting thing that we can get into here, but we're, we're coming up on, uh, on the end of this segment. So right now we're talking with Wayne Dobbs. You're listening to Ballistic Radio. Welcome back to Ballistic Radio, brought to you by Surefire, the professional's choice for suppressors and illumination tools. Surefire, America's beacon of freedom. This segment brought to you by Wilson Combat. Wilson Combat makers of the finest custom 1911s and scatter guns since 1977, a legacy of quality, innovation, and service. Learn more about their firearms and accessories, as well as the new EDC X9, which offers discriminating shooters 1911 match grade accuracy, superior ergonomics and concealability, with modern service pistol capacity and reliability at www.wilsoncombat.com. So before the break, you were talking about how everyday normal earth people, uh, when they try and shoot that way, they start missing and they start missing a lot. That's correct. So when you say every, I mean, let's, let's do this Um, just to get like sort of a baseline and, and whatever. Have you ever known anyone that, that, you you said to yourself, watching them shoot, like okay, they could probably do this under pressure, under stress. I mean, is there a 
Is there a like an accuracy speed level that somebody could get to where you'd go, all right, maybe you? Sure. And and I hate to sit there and, and pull standards out, but if I can watch someone that can routinely give me a clean failure drill performance uh, at, say, five yards from the ready in two seconds. That's three shots in two seconds. And when I, the two shots for the thoracic cavity are not in a – they're not in an IDPA down zero zone. They're not in an IPSC A zone. They're staying inside of a five-and-a-half-inch diameter B8 bull circle and then give me a shot in the head box – centered up in the head box if i can see somebody do that all the time uh if if i see that constant performance then i can sit there and say okay while he's not setting the world on fire speed wise his pace his accuracy on demand is always there um that that's a good that's a good indicator okay um for everyday average people though that's um that's I I know that sounds like to some people if they've never tried it that sounds like a relatively easy like oh two seconds you know from the ready okay I'm I would suggest that that's actually more difficult than it sounds especially it to, to be consistent. Well, to be consistent and to meet the accuracy demands and and where I am philosophically and and I have the I think I have the evidence to prove it is to teach extreme accuracy demands at a reasonable operational speed. Uh, not not shot volumes, uh, not blinding speed, but at an operational speed, deliver me extreme accuracy. And I love the B8 bull. And, you know, I unabashedly, and many of the rest of us have done it, have stolen it from Larry Vickers and, and others, and uh, it works well. And and I saw another iteration of it back in the early 1990s when uh, Mid South was doing their their train up program that they took both mobile and fixed, and were teaching uh, they were teaching basic training on three inch black dots and six inch black dots, uh, three inch inside of five yards, six inch uh, outside of five yards, and they were teaching you were shooting lots and lots on this and they were teaching fundamental accuracy performances at speed and it 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 works like it works like crazy in actual shootings well and that seems to be a little bit counter to what you know some people think but it's occurred to me do you do you think that we go through phases where um we try and reinvent the wheel even though we probably don't need to Absolutely. <laughs> what it's it's cyclic. It's like fashion almost. What what do you what do you think causes that, Wayne? Uh, well, I think you, you get generational shifts in firearms trainers. Uh, I think you will see uh, uh, influential organizations that will circle back. Uh, like I I was a police officer from 1978 to 2003, and in 1986, I was a narcotics and intelligence detective. Uh, that's when the FBI shooting took place down in Miami. Yeah. Uh, in 1987, I went to the Bureau in Dallas on an organized crime task force and spent uh, about three years full-time and about six years part-time on it. So I was at the Bureau full-time when they were in the throes of the uh, 
of the review and investigation and new thinking about training and ammunition in 1987. And the 9mm was the worst thing on the planet. I mean, it was like the spawn of Satan at that point. Right. And now we are, what, 30 years later? And uh, what has the Bureau circled back to as, as the recommended caliber now? Well, 9mm. Uh, in fairness <laughs> to them, in fairness to them, there's been some technological advances since then. Yes, there have, and, and they've been excellent. And I am a 9mm fan. Oh, uh, yeah. I, I highly recommend it to everybody, and, and I, I think it is a great service caliber with the ammo we have today, for sure. Well, and it, it's funny, though, how, and I think a lot of, I think this is where the confusion is, uh, or at least I've noticed. It's really hard to delineate between, okay, something has changed, so now we can go back to this thing that we've abandoned, and also between, okay, this new thing is awesome because it's new. It's like, well, actually, the old way was probably better, and that requires a lot of, knowledge and i'm not even saying necessarily technology in fact i'm not saying specifically technology but just even training methodologies or more importantly examining how new things can influence older methodologies and and work in conjunction with them yes i can see that uh, that was a very you know, random and like rambling question i'm so sorry wayne and we see you know there's there's two more examples of that and one of them is is not it has no influence in the law enforcement world it does in the civilian carry world and that is um, a pretty healthy emphasis on small revolvers uh, as as daily carry guns uh, that's I from what I understand Smith and Wesson's number one selling product are J frame revolvers mm-hmm. uh, and so that tells me that there is a lot of them out there I know a lot of them are being carried uh, and right, wrong, or indifferent, so we can sit there and say, hey, there's still an emphasis on the old there. That's old technology. That's literally 19th century technology. Yeah. Um, then the other thing is is the resurgence, you know, courtesy of Ernest Langdon and some others, uh, of the, the traditional double-action, single-action service pistol again. Yeah. So, you know, there's always, if you look around, you see there's always somebody looking back and saying, how does this relate to our world today? Can can we make something that we didn't think was so fashionable all of a sudden useful? It, it's it's an interesting concept. It's kind of like ties. My dad told me, he says, never throw away your ties. He said, they'll come back in fashion. Huh. <laughs> That's actually really good advice. Uh, we got about two and a half minutes left, and then I'll we'll sort of switch subjects. But as far as the yeah, – here – in two minutes or less, is there anything that uh, has gone out of fashion that you wish would come back into fashion? Uh, I can't really come up with something like that. Um, I I think that you know we we uh, we we continually hop around and look at different things, but I think what I would like to see be in fashion is really diligent and repetitive and ongoing uh, dedication to teaching and learning and executing fundamentals in firearms training. Um, I think that that's something that we need to uh, to really bear down on. And I think there was a lot more of it in, in, in really professional, well-done organizations on revolvers back in the day. And while I'm not saying the revolver is a 
a modern service weapon, some of the way we thought about using revolvers certainly is is germane today in 2018. Well, and I wonder, too, we got about a minute and 10 seconds left, but I wonder, too, um, you know, a revolver... A revolver is not difficult to shoot well if you put the time into it, but it is certainly not easy to shoot well. And I wonder how much of it is the fact that because people understood that it was not easy to shoot well or were told it was not easy to shoot well, by its very nature it encouraged them to practice, whereas nowadays people are just like, oh, yeah, I got a gun, I'm good. Um, I don't know if you want to say something about that in like 30 seconds or less. but In 30 seconds. The big thing that we realized was, and, and I started carrying a revolver as, as a young police officer, and I quickly transitioned to an auto pistol because I had the opportunity to, and it was kind of an unusual circumstance. But the thing about a revolver is you knew going forward that you had six rounds to take care of business. And and you knew that it was basically six and not 12 or 18 because uh, you had, if you were smart, you realized you weren't going to get that revolver reloaded with the, uh, the situation or the equipment you had at the time. Huh. So you had six rounds to solve a problem and that required some, some diligence and some discipline and focus on the, the fundamentals to make sure you, you won the fight. Well, we'll, we'll talk about that more. We're uh, talking with Wayne Dobbs right now. You're listening to Ballistic Radio. <laughs> Welcome back to Ballistic Radio, brought to you by Surefire, the professional choice for suppressors and illumination tools. Surefire, America's beacon of freedom. This segment also brought to you by Surefire. Know your target and what is beyond it. But how can you really know your target? By shining a really bright light at it, and that's where Surefire comes in. From the new 1200 lumen EDCL 2T handheld, or a 500 lumen EDCL 1T handheld, to the 1000 lumen XH35 or the 1500 lumen M600 DF Scout Light, Surefire can make sure you never have to yell Aziz Light ever again. Surefire, the professional choice for suppressors and illumination tools. And remember, just for listening to Ballistic Radio, you can get 20% off everything at the Surefire.com web store, except batteries and suppressors, by entering the discount code Aziz Light. A-Z-I-Z, no space, L-I-G-H-T. So we're talking with Wayne Dobbs, and, and you were sort of saying before the break, when you knew you only had six opportunities to do it well, um, you you kind of concentrated a little bit more on getting it done that way. If you were doing it right, if you were applying your fundamentals and, and proper training right, because I know there were agencies, especially uh, in New York City was, was pretty notorious or infamous for it, of... Uh, teaching or, or having a culture that if you pulled the revolver out and started shooting it, you should dump all six rounds as fast as you could. Mm-hmm. Um, and that, uh, that doesn't result in, in, in what you're looking for because it's essentially doing in microcosm what a lot of people are doing with high-capacity semi-automatics today, and that is shooting as many rounds as you can. And the joking reference I use for it is uh, I say that that the guy is thinking or the gal is thinking if there's lead in the air, there's hope. <laughs> and so uh, it's, it's one of these things of, of a high volume response is nothing new. It's, it was done with the revolvers too. And you get the same result. You get a lot of misses downrange. You uh, have a very poor accuracy or hit rate on, on actual subjects and you endanger a lot of people and property behind the, uh, or downrange of the event. Well, let's talk about that real quick. So it seems like a lot of times um, 
when we talk about shootings and and stuff like that, we have this picture of like this perfect situation where, oh, look, I've got a backstop and a clearly defined threat and everyone is behind my 180 and shooter ready, stand by, let's go. Is that the reality as, as you found? No, that? Lord, no. Uh, it's not even close. Uh, some of the realities are the first thing I always teach people, especially when I'm uh, talking to agencies or, or talking to other instructors, is if you look at these venues, these locations where street shootings take place, there is not a single one of them I've seen or am aware of that we would say, oh, let's put up a portable target stand here and a, and a qual target and give this guy a magazine of 15 and have him shoot a drill here. None of them take place in locations like that. Uh, they all have individuals downrange. Uh, they all have property downrange that you don't want to strike. Uh, they have moving vehicles behind it. Uh, it's, it's, the, the list goes on and on. Other things that are typically involved in these shootings is you have absolute no-shoot targets, absolute innocence that are often interposed between you and the, the suspect you're shooting at uh, that are literally, if, if you make a mistake or the bad guy moves while you're tracking him, you can end up shooting them. Uh, the ugly truth about lots and lots of officer woundings is that if there's more than a couple of officers shooting on a deal and an officer gets shot at least half the time, they were shot by another officer. Uh, so, so these, these circumstances, these scenes, uh, are, are absolute, uh, horrors from it when it comes to the, the standpoint of that rule four thing and the firearm safety rules of being a, certain of the target's identity, surroundings, and backstop. Target identity is usually very, very easy, despite what a lot of people might say. It's, it's usually pretty simple to figure out that someone is dangerous uh, and that they need to be engaged. Uh, the surroundings and backstop uh, issues are, are pretty, uh, pretty prevalent uh, in virtually every one of them. And there's there's backstop issues in that you don't know. A lot of people have no idea where the bullet will end up. Uh, there's what I call the opaque uh, downrange uh, hazards where you're looking at something uh, like typically building structures and saying, okay, well, I see a monochromatic background so I can shoot at this guy. And what you're looking at is some drywall. Uh, in a house or an apartment, or you're looking, you're in an office building, and what you're looking at is the side of a cubicle. Um, so you can you can have people that are in the downrange hazard area that you have absolutely no way of seeing, but that doesn't remove them from danger. Well, and it, it kind of brings to mind the point that Tom Gibbons makes, uh, that in the real world, the only safe backstop is? The suspect you're shooting. Yeah. So, and, go, go ahead. And to use him as a backstop, to use him as an effective backstop, you have to hit him well. Uh, you've got to hit him center. And secondarily, you, uh, this is often another train, but you've got to shoot him with ammunition that's highly unlikely to exit him with enough energy, velocity, momentum, whatever you want to call it, uh, to uh, credibly endanger people behind him. That's and that's the tough part. That's the tough nut to crack. Well, and it seems like that to uh, to put all of these things together and to put it together in real time with life or death consequences, 
that maybe spending some time on, oh, I don't know, fundamentals ahead of time would be would be important? Yes. Uh, you know, I call it accuracy at speed. I use that over and over again, and it's extreme accuracy at speed. I you know whatever distance we're working at, I'm essentially saying I'm giving you a five-and-a-half-inch accuracy standard. Uh, that's the the diameter of the B8 bull. You've and it's not eight inches, and it's not the what is it six by eleven inches of the uh, or the uh, USPSA A zone. It's it's a five inch circle. It's twenty four square inches, twenty three point seven five actually. Uh, it's the same diameter or same area as a four by six uh, index card. So that's a that's a good alternative too. But I'm saying tight, tight accuracy standards. And then the speed at which we deliver is we deliver shots at a speed that we guarantee they stay in that zone, which if you're doing it right, also causes you to shoot at a split time that allows you to evaluate what's going on shot to shot and allows you to stop shooting when you need to without having to uh, worry about firing two or three rounds uh, after the the uh, stimulus to stop has uh, or to shoot has has disappeared. Well, and it seems like too that um <clears throat> I I'm kind of trying to decide where I want to go here with this. Uh that's sort of do you think that let's sort of back up. Um what I hear a lot is people say things like, well, most of the time, if you shoot somebody, if you hit them at all, they're going to decide they don't want to be shot anymore. And we recently just interviewed Ed Morales, uh, who you know who is. Uh, you know yes. who is? You know who he is. And uh, yeah. yeah, and, and most of the listeners do. And he ran into an individual that did not care that he had been shot at all. Do you think too much of our training is, or not our training, because you and I, I don't think either one of us think this, but do you think... Um, too much of the industry's training is based around the supposition that, well, if I get a hit on them, that's good enough. We got about two minutes left in this segment. I think, uh, I think maybe not out in the open we say that, but I think it's kind of implied uh, in a lot of so-called training programs in that they present a, uh, a training target that I call the no cop left behind qual target. It's about as big as a door. It's usually brightly colored. And you get uh, an, a disproportionate amount of credit for hitting it anywhere. And so we kind of, uh, at a subconscious level, tell people that, well, you know, everybody's a winner and you're going to qualify today. We're going to drag everybody kicking and screaming across the finish line, even though even in a no-stress shooting environment here at the range for qualification, you were really mediocre to terrible. But we're going to call you good to go. Um, and and so you you're teaching people that aren't interested in the process which describes most people out there carrying guns that a hit anywhere will gain you uh points for your side and and things will work out well and there's a lot of people out there that have been shot and aren't afraid of being shot again that that's not going to work on well we'll talk about that a little bit more right now we're talking with Wayne Dobbs you're listening to Ballistic Radio <laughs> Welcome back to Ballistic Radio, brought to you by Surefire, the professional's choice for suppressors and illumination tools. Surefire, America's beacon of freedom. So right before the break, Wayne, uh, we were talking about how um, 
essentially we have targets and standards that uh, reward people for what are in actuality, whether or not they actually strike what, you know, around what we're shooting for are in actuality misses. Um, Because I would make the argument, I'd be curious to get your opinion on this, that if we completely remove a psychological stop as, as a possible outcome, then really the only thing we are aiming for is the heart and aortic arch and then the central nervous system. And anything that doesn't strike one of those, you know, or the spine, uh, anything that doesn't strike one of those is a miss. Yeah? That's the, uh, that's the stance I take. Uh, you give them, you give them the two target zones and I used to, and we, you know, that, that five and a half inch BH circle is mounted up high and centered on the chest, uh, of the, and I, what I typically use is, uh, it's not an IDPA target. It has IDPA style scoring zones. It's called a national defense or, or national defense match target, uh, from, uh, oh, I cannot remember the name of the company. It's in Maryland. Uh, but it's a truncated length uh, IDPA target and uh, national targets. I'm sorry, it's national targets yeah. in Frederick, Maryland. Anyway, uh, I mount that B8 bull on there, and then you have what is essentially about a three by five uh, size head zone on the in the head box. And we basically say if it's not in those two zones, it's a miss. Uh, shots to the gut, shots to the love handles. Uh, grazing shots, uh, shots through, uh, even shots through lungs, uh, especially if it's just a single lung, uh, don't generally gain you too much uh, in in an encounter with someone that's really committed to the fight. Well, so and that's that's kind of uh, that's kind of not a warm and fuzzy feeling. I could see where people uh, might be. Oh, I don't know. Go. Oh. I don't like this because it sort of implies that maybe I suck and need to suck less. That kind of been what you've encountered? Yes. And truth be told, John, when we get into encounters, uh, we all increase our suck level. Uh, that's, that is an absolute, you know, you can chisel that in stone and it'll never change. When, when we go into a fight, uh, and especially a fight for our life, and the closer it is, the worse we are, I think. Uh, we all have a significant deterioration in performance. Uh, and so what this is all about you know, on these tight accuracy standards at speed is to get what we hope is adequate performance uh, when these things come up. Not, you know, I'm, I'm under no illusion that I'm going to have somebody out there shooting me sub five inch groups in an operational encounter. What I'm trying to do is to make sure they don't leak shots uh, and waste rounds and waste time and allow attacks to go on. Uh, so, you know, we sit there and and train super hard and hope for adequate is, is basically the stance we take. Do you think that, um, I don't know, do you, have, hmm, where do I want to go with this? I got examples. Yeah, go ahead, real quick. So this methodology, and I'm, I alluded to Mid-South back in the early 90s, and I saw Mid-South's methodology in 91 and 92, and uh, I watched a department next to ours, the Garland Police Department. Uh, there was there's three cities there in the in the general vicinity, uh, Richardson, Plano, Garland. We shared an academy back then, and when the, when Garland put in that that firearms training program. Uh, at first, uh, some of us were were kind of joking about it because we thought it 
they're, hey, they're out there shooting black dots, and they're shooting from isosceles, and everybody knows that the real gunfighters shoot from Weaver and, and you know, all of this. And so I went through the program and changed everything I did. And Garland, uh, they put an entire department through around, a, as, at that time, it was about 275 officers, and put on a very robust sustainment program, uh, plus uh, retraining, the same three-day retraining every other year for everybody. And what they did is they took their average earth people cops, street cops, and they went from being 10 and 15% accuracy rate on bad guys and shootings to over 90% on bad guys and shootings with this program. So when I saw that, I was like, okay, you know, there's, there's something here. And they had a string of 24 officer-involved shootings and I think their overall accuracy rate was 93% with that. And in May of 2015, I think it was, they showed the world that that program still works when uh, Greg Stevens, who was a 38-year officer, 60 years old with Garland, uh, shot and killed two uh, ISIS would-be terrorists uh, at, a, at an event, uh, a Draw the Mohammed contest. And Greg... Uh, Greg's not a firearms trainer. Greg's a motor officer, and he took out both those guys. Uh, he started about 14 yards out, went on the move, and killed both of them. Uh, he fired 14 rounds, and he got 11 hits. Yeah, but uh, what do you mean people aren't small little dots, and we've got to train on these? It's just funny. It, it's funny that we've got all these examples after example after example of something that is successful and and we don't do it i i don't know i don't know um we've got we got about 4 minutes left 5 minutes left um what what else do you want to talk about what what else do you think people should consider if they want to they want to be better or they want to be better prepared well <clears throat> The first thing they, they need to do is, is there needs to be a deep realization. And when I say a deep realization, I'm talking about nearly a spiritual realization that, uh, that this stuff can come to them, uh, that there can be a problem, that there can be a deadly encounter, uh, and that trouble may be around the next corner, uh, wherever you are. And so you, you train and prepare yourself both mentally and physically for that, and you make sure you have uh, the tools at hand, preferably on you to deal with something like that. Uh, the next thing is in your training, make sure that your training forces you to work hard. Uh, we all like to go out and do what's fun and what's easy uh, and shoot 10 cans with a 22. And, and there's nothing wrong with doing that. It's just that that's not really applicable to a uh, defensive pistol usage, shall we say. So go and do the things you don't like to do. Work on the things that that you're not great at. Realize that every one of us wants to over-control triggers and increase grip efforts as we shoot. And so work on fundamentally delivering perfect shots at speed over and over and over, and do it until you're sick of it, and then do it some more. Uh, realize that shot splits aren't as important as shot accuracy. Uh, the very best SWAT team on this planet at L.A., uh, their, their, their split standard for firing multiple shots is half a second between shots. 
They want to make sure that they drive a bullet right where they want to and that they don't do it too fast to screw it up. Uh, their, their accuracy standard in their training, in their, uh, in their shoot house is 100% accuracy. So much so that it, during selection, if you miss a shot, uh, you can pack up your bags and go. Uh, you're not going to be selected. So we we have a lot of of things that that we stare in the face when we look at the the shooting world that says, oh, I'm supposed to shoot ten shots in three seconds, uh, and and you know if it hits in the A zone or the or the C zone, then I'm good to go. And in actuality, what you just did is you you trained somebody, you trained yourself to shoot a lot of misses. Uh, that target's not going to be standing still the whole time. Uh, very rarely will it be. So you've got to have, you've got to back off a little bit. I, I talk about it. And I say you're going to drive 70 on the freeway instead of 120. And we're going to make sure that we do it right. Uh, that we, that we're responsible for every shot we fire. And that's, that's not popular. I, I've been told that, you know, I'm the witch and they need to burn me at the stake sometimes, but I don't care. Uh, there's, there, there are realities, and, and I have the luxury of, of edging into being old. I'm 61 now, and I've seen quite a few things. And I, I know that this works, and we have the, we have the, uh, the data points to prove that throttling back and, and shooting well is, is a good thing. When I say speed, I'm talking about first shot accuracy speed. Yes, I want to see that first shot be a center hit, and I want it to happen as fast as possible. But that doesn't mean you sit there and throw a bunch after it that are very likely going to be misses or mediocre hits. Well, and that's an amazing place to uh, leave off. If people want to come train with uh, with you and Daryl, where can they where can they find out about that? Uh, they can shoot uh, me an email at uh, as Wayne at HardwiredTacticalShooting.com. Uh, they can shoot me an email at Aimpoint if they want to. Wayne.dobbs at Aimpoint.com. I'll be glad to talk to him. Perfect. Hey, Wayne, I appreciate you taking time to talk to us, brother. It was it was a pleasure. Uh, hopefully I get to see you when we're down there teaching. Uh, and I, uh, I, I always enjoy talking to you, man. I do, too. Enjoy talking with you, John. All right. Hey, make sure you guys check out our website, BallisticRadio.com. Like our Facebook page at Facebook.com slash BallisticRadio. And, hey, keep leaving those five-star reviews on iTunes. We really appreciate it. Thanks for listening, everyone. As always, be safe. See you next week.